and I'll read Exodus 15, verses 22 through 27. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, literally bitter. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for its example, uh, even now to us in this day and this time. We ask you to open our ears, uh, have your Holy Spirit to convict us of our short-sighted ways of thinking and not really honoring you as God. So we thank you, Lord, for this time and pray that uh, you would awaken us to your word in a new and refreshing way. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So our series is in the wilderness, and this is the fourth message. And last time we talked about the uh, crossing of the Red Sea when it was on dry ground, ground and why it was that God wanted that to happen. He intentionally pushed the Jews up against the Red Sea and then had them wait for Pharaoh to show up. And the fear that that engendered in this people. And so now we have a different experience and it's not long afterwards. It's probably just a few days afterwards. And so now we've read about how they have crossed the Red Sea. They've gone three days into the wilderness and they have found no water. And apparently they were searching for water because it said they found no water. It wasn't just happenstance. They were looking. They were thirsty. They wanted water and yet they couldn't find it. This is a lot of people, millions of people. And so they've come across no fresh water. And so they must, for looking at it pragmatically, practically from a human perspective, they must be again fearful. It's exactly what he'd had them face with Pharaoh's army. And yet they are so forgetful to have seen the miraculous salvation the Shekinah glory getting between them and the army, a, a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud, darkness, uh, crossing over on dry ground, and then the waters flowing back over Pharaoh's army and destroying them. Uh, that just happened, and yet they have already forgotten. They're thirsty. Their body is demanding attention, and they are giving their bodies attention. So now three days, they've been looking for water. They haven't found it. What do they then see? Water. And water that for all appearances appears to be just what they were looking for. And so they get there and they try to drink it. And it, it must be so bitter 
that they can't even drink it. I mean, that is bad water. How many of you have seen movies where people are parched, they're going through the desert, they find water, and it's yucky water. It's muddy or yucky. And they just fall down in it. They're splashing around in it, drinking it. And you think, how could they do that? I wouldn't do that. But you're not in their shoes. So when you read about people that really have been in that dehydrated situation, they love whatever water they come across that they can drink. It doesn't matter that it's muddy and yucky. It's life, and they love it. It's better than any water they've ever had. So this water is bad, very bad, and they can't drink it. Perhaps the bitterness is maybe even causing them pain, stomach aches or whatever. So they're trying, but they can't get it down. So now, what happens? Now, when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Merah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So now, what is their response? They're thirsty. They are elated when they see this water. Now, their hopes have been dashed because the water cannot be drunk. So now they're embittered against Moses, and they complain to him, what shall we drink? So what does Moses do? Verse 25, so he cried out to the Lord. Now I want to point something out to you here. What do these millions of people do? They complain to Moses. What does Moses do? He talks to God. We already covered the fact that these people are lost. This whole generation is lost. They do not think to talk to God. They don't know God. They only think to complain to Moses. So what's interesting here is that Moses, what does he do? What is his instinctive reaction? It is to go to God. Now, what's, let, me, let me share with you a phrase here. There is this helplessness and dependence that everybody has. All the people have it. Moses has it. What do these people do, however, in their sense of helplessness and dependence? They complain. And yet what Moses does in his sense of helplessness and dependence is he goes to God, who can answer all of his needs. So the helplessness and dependence that these Jews felt resulted in a sense of entitlement. They expected to be cared for, to be provided for. They need give nobody thanks for getting them food and water because they had food and water in Egypt. They are so upset with Moses for having brought them out into this fearful situation where they no longer have what it was that they could take for granted in Egypt. They are embittered. And they complain, they murmur against him. So what does God do with Moses in his helplessness and his dependence and his reliance upon God? Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So not only was the bitterness removed such that the people could stomach it, but it is actually made sweet. Now this water is wonderful to the taste. 
Then we see this transition in the middle of verse 25. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And later on, this is made more formal, and we see it more clearly how exactly God is going to test these people in the wilderness. But it, here it's just a, a small phrase for how he's going to test them. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So he presents to them a penalty that he's going to levy against them, but in a positive way, saying, you need only obey me, and I will not bring upon you what you witnessed me bringing upon the Egyptians. So it's a veiled threat. God is threatening them that if you do not obey me, you will fall under the same punishment that the Egyptians received. Now the people were tested. They were tested here. It says, there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. There he tested them. God continued to test them. Did they pass or did they fail? They failed. We know they failed. They failed repeatedly. They were very bad students. They did not learn. God rewarded them with this water. He did not owe this water to them. It was given as a reward, and yet he shares at the same time, I have reserved penalties for you for the future. Here I am rewarding you through no merit of your own, but I will punish you if you persist in being disobedient to me. And then I love this next verse. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. So who knows how far Merah and Elam were away from one another. We really have very little idea as to where all these cities are that are laid out for us in the Exodus. I wonder if it could have been just a few miles further on. And so here they are. He stopped them at this point. After three days in the wilderness, they come upon Merah. And again, it's a test. It's a test of whether they will finally, finally turn to God in their hour of need instead of just complain about Moses having pulled them out of their nice, cushy, entirely oppressed life in Egypt. It says that uh, we wax nostalgic for the past and we forget the bad things, and obviously they are. They were slaves in Egypt, and yet they want to go back. They really regret having left. When our needs, and now this is to take it to us, when our needs are not met, we can become bitter. We can be disappointed, which can then lead to bitterness. What that is reflecting is a sense of entitlement, that you are entitled to the same happiness, the same level of satisfaction you had yesterday or last week or last month. So when we lose something that we've had, we can grow bitter about it because we had become entitled to that by this point in our lives. And we don't want to move into a period where we don't have it or where we might not have it, or we might not have it as consistently as we used to have it. That is entitlement thinking. And we know that that type of entitlement thinking leads us nowhere good. 
So what is it that we're supposed to do instead? What did Moses have? Did Moses have a sense of entitlement? No. What did Moses recognize that no one else did, or at least all of those that were complaining bitterly against him? Moses recognized and accepted that they were helpless and dependent on God. And he maintained a relationship with God such that he could turn to him at all times when faced with this helplessness and this dependence. And that is something that makes us uncomfortable as individuals. We do not want to be dependent on God. We just resist that. It's just part of our fallen nature to resist this. We want to have the strength to get through our temptations today on our own. When in reality, the temptation comes upon you, and where is the strength to fight against that temptation? It's not in you. It's not in us. It's in God alone. So see, we try to isolate ourselves from God, and yet then fight the battles against the world, the flesh, and the devil in our own strength. What we're forgetting is that our success or failure depends not on our strength, but on God's strength and on the relationship that we have with Him. It's all relational. When we are challenged, we are to turn to God. And in our weakness, in our helplessness, in our dependence, we gather strength from Him. He gives it to us right then. He doesn't give it to us like a week, a month, a year in advance. He gives it to us right there when we need it, when we ask for it. So when we refuse to ask for it through our hard heart and our pig-headedness, we don't get it. And then we fall. We fall to the temptation. And so that's exactly what these people are doing. They were falling to the temptation that is common to us all. We face this every day. We face this entitlement mentality, this belief that we ought to be strong enough to overcome this in ourselves. Why do I have to be so dependent upon God? But it's because He's made us dependent upon Him. We have to maintain the relationship. If we don't, we fail, we fall, we become embittered. And so when we come to the Lord's table, that's what we're saying. This wine and this bread Food and water, these are necessary for life. That's the picture. The picture is that we need to go to God all the time, constantly. We're constantly in communion with Him and drawing from Him the strength we need to get through the day, or we have cut ourselves off from Him, and then we're just dying slowly. And we will begin to fail more and more and more each day and each week. So that's why Jesus said, he is the vine, we are the branches. You cannot be uh, in Him. You cannot be uh, producing fruit unless you're connected to Him. It's the relationship, though. Every day we must go to God. And let's do that now as we come to the table. Don't take this for granted. This is His nourishment. This is His strength offered to you. And let's partake of it. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the example of millions of people that have gone on before us. Uh, such people as did not turn to you in their time of need, in their helplessness and in their dependence. So, Father, we do not want to make that mistake, and we pray that we would not be too proud to seek your strength each day, that we would not uh, 
wallow in the shame of our sin and seek to be stronger such that we can turn to you when we're stronger. But Lord, we pray that you would come to us in our time of weakness, that we would acknowledge that weakness and turn to you for strength. Thank you, Father, for your presence with us now and always. In Christ's name and for his sake, amen.